Welcome to Time for Change with Dr. Michelle, where we bring inspiring real life stories of success and transformation, tips and tools to turn your life around no matter where you are at. I'm your host, Michelle Rosen. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Time for Change, where we talk about the power of making those changes that transform our lives and all the tips, tools, and inspiration to turn your life around no matter where you are at and getting you from where you are to where you choose to be. We have a wonderful guest today with us, Dr. Lori Watley. Dr. Watley is a clinical psychologist helping clients discover their best self and an expert contributor to many magazines. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Watley. I'm your host, Michelle Rosen. Today we have in the podcast with us, Dr. Lori Watley. Dr. Lori Watley is a clinical psychologist. She is helping clients discover their best through therapy. She's also an expert contributor to many magazines, and I know that she helps clients nationwide as well as internationally. So I'm sure we're going to have so much to talk about. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Watley. Hi, thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here. I'm so glad to have you. And I think we kind of work with similar things, have shared interests when it comes to how you discover your best self and how you reach the point that you are working with that part of you, your best self. And so I'm I'm very interested in that. But before we even talk about how you actually do that, I'm always most fascinated with what brings people to their path. You know, what brought you to be interested in that career in helping people discover their best self? So tell me about that. I have always really enjoyed, you know, when I was in college, I really enjoyed the psychology courses. And then after my children were school age, I went back to school. I went to Mercer Medical School to get my graduate degree and began practicing as a therapist. Absolutely loved it. And then started teaching at a college level and have just found so many different avenues that I can explore through this career in psychology. But I really enjoy the interaction with others. I think that's the thing that I enjoy the most. And and I've been able to do some public speaking and I've written a book. So I've just had, you know, a lot of different experiences through psychology and a lot of self-growth as well. So let's talk about that. So the people that you're working with, that you help discover their best self through therapy, what do you think is the biggest obstacle for someone to live their lives through the best version of themselves? That is a great question. I think that we are our biggest obstacles. Our thoughts so often define us and sometimes our thoughts, the narrative is not accurate. And so that's the beauty of therapy is going and peeling back the layers so that you can find your true self. Uh, right. Because life happens and we start building these ways to be insulated from things in life that are painful for us. And so we just keep covering up ourselves until one day, hopefully we decide, hey, I want to see what's underneath all of this. And that's the beauty of therapy, just peeling back the layers. 
you mentioned that you've also had a lot of personal growth through your professional journey of helping others. And I can really identify with that because I feel that every time I talk about something or every time I write an article about something, I always learn and grow with my own things that I talk about and research and explore. And so I always feel that it feeds back into my life. How do you feel that it plays out for you? I agree with you. That's a great point. I tell my clients like, hey, I am sitting here with you in this and it's touching me and it's growing me as much as it's growing you. Because we have to really look into ourselves sometimes as we're working with our clients and the transference, counter-transference. And then, of course, I have some groups that I work with of other therapists and we meet and just talk about the ways that we're affected sometimes in our own therapy room and work through them. And so I grow through that. And it's so interesting because something that might affect me this year with a client and I feel a lot of growth with six months later, it could be completely different. I think it's where we are in our own life and what we're managing in our own lives. Right, right. Did you have something in your personal life that impacted you to choose that route of helping people live their best lives through their best self? I have had many different experiences in my life. I'm midlife now, so can't live to this age without having experiences that certainly grow us if we manage them properly, I think. And so I've had many different experiences with family and with friends. I I have definitely gone to therapy and worked through and grown from. There has been just many different instances, I would say, throughout my life that I have utilized therapy as a tool. Right. And I feel that there's always this tension between being the best version of ourselves and just letting our impulsive self, our negative self, our immediate pleasure self let's do what's easier for me, what's pleasurable for me, what's immediate for me, self, take over. And I know that I feel that struggle with myself where I always have to challenge myself to be the best version of myself. It's very easy not to be. And so every time you choose to make a very conscious decision, every time you choose to challenge yourself, you're basically making a difficult and very mindful choice. And I am taking it to a personal level because when I talk about change, I talk about the changes that I go through. And quite honestly, all the things that I talk about, I have to keep reminding myself and I have to keep reinforcing them for myself because there's always that part of me that says, "Mm, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to do that work today. And then you can come up with a hundred excuses. Why not? And I have great excuses. Believe me, I can write a book about, you know, but I try not to use them. Brian Tracy calls it eat that frog when you don't want to do something. And he says, get up in the morning and do the things that you want to do the least first thing. So how do you feel that tension between being your best self and then the other side of things? Where, where do you feel the struggle? I think that I have always been a seeker. So I've always been curious. And when I have a struggle, I'm curious. And so that drives me to therapy or that drives me to try to do what you speak about so often, change, deciding that this is the hard thing that I'm going to have to go and deal with because otherwise I'm going to limp through life. 
Raising children, that's a hard thing. You have to have support. I find there are easy ways to handle things. And what you say about the immediate gratification is so true because we want to do that easy thing. That's just what we want to do. But I get to see every day people have these aha moments when they are like, you know, this isn't so bad. Coming here and unpacking this stuff that I've been needing to unpack in therapy, it's really not so bad. It's a new thing for me and I'm managing it so much better. Right. So now that I'm actually processing it. Right. And I think in our, in our first part of life, we tend to run more. than do later in life. The first part, we're having experiences and then we decide, hey, I'm going to process these differently now and I'm going to learn from these. And we completely change and manage things. That's been my experience. Right. I oftentimes think so much about the issue of accountability because to create a change in your life, you really need to be accountable for your own shortcomings. And I found with myself that in my earlier years, I had this perception of myself that I am number one, wonderful. Number two, usually just and right. I just have to explain why I'm just and right. And if somebody's not getting it, they let me explain again. And, uh, And if there's some kind of a problem, it's probably not me responsible. And then I had a lot of explanations why. And so one of the things that happened to me over the years that created a lot of changes in my life, and you know, when we talk about change, we don't just talk about the big drastic change. We talk about sometimes very small things that are very meaningful in our interactions with other people and also with ourselves. So one of the things that I found to be completely transformative is that issue of accountability where you realize that you have to own up to your own shortcomings and from there take action. So how much of a role do you think that takes in therapy? And what is your role as a therapist in encouraging that accountability? That is, that is huge. That is huge for me. And I agree with you. Early in life, we feel like we're bulletproof. And then we begin to learn through experiences that maybe I don't know everything. And the more that I went to school, the more I learned about what I didn't know. One thing, Michelle, that I learned about that was really helpful for me, I think, is, and that I'm trying to be better at, is I learned to listen. That thing that you were talking about, I learned to listen to other people and understand that because of their past, they have a completely different point of view than I do. And I have to be willing to hear what they're saying, even though it is not my feeling or I don't agree with them, but I can not agree with them, but still hear them. Yeah. And that has been something that I've really been working on in the past few years. I think hearing other people, being able to validate them and realize that we all have our stuff. And when we admit that we all have our own stuff that we're working through, that's a game changer for a lot of people. I just feel like we're all have our own wounds and we're all out there bumping into each other's wounds. Mm -hmm. When we're able to see that and see life that way, we can have so much more compassion for each other. Yeah. 
and that's what I think our world at this point is just so important that we have compassion for each other. Yeah, I agree with you so much. It's the third podcast episode in a row where the incredible importance of listening comes up. And it's so important because I feel that it's something that we forgot to do or neglect to do as people because we're so bombarded and life is so busy. And we're so, again, it's being your best self versus being your impulsive self. So the impulse is to judge and to run a quick judgment because we don't have time. And also, to be completely honest, if there's a way for us to feel superior a little bit to some extent compared to the other person. So we feel good about ourselves and then the other person has either no idea what they're doing or they're not such a great person or whatever it is. And we run a very quick judgment. The other side of listening that came up in a recent episode had to do with people's tendency to fix problems for the other person. So instead of just listening in a non-judgmental and just being present and just listening and validating the other person, like you said, offering solutions is not the right thing to do. You feel that you're helping, but you're missing the point. The point is just being present and listening. So I agree with you so much. I was thinking as you were saying that, that a lot of times us trying to fix is judging. Yes. How do I know what's best for you? Like I don't. I and don't. accepting that and yep. being present. I feel like I can't really tell you what to do because I'm not you. I don't have your past experiences and I'm not God either. What do I know? How can I tell someone how they should be living or what they should be doing or how they could do it better? I so agree with you. Just meeting them where they are and sitting with them and being present. We all just want to be heard. When you open your your social media every day, that's, I mean, that's what I see. Just a lot of people wanting to be heard. Interesting. Offering that is something, that's that's something that I've had to learn. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's a skill because I'm a talker. So being able to sit and listen has just been huge growth. Yes, I agree with you. If there's anything that I've learned from my background in psychology and therapy, it's doing exactly that. Realizing that the other person, they have all the solutions for their own problems. It's just a matter of helping them reduce their anxiety by listening and being present and then supporting them and being there for them and validating them to the point that they find the solution. And it's one of the basic things that you learn, right? When you learn to be a therapist, but I think it's something that everybody needs to learn. It's something that maybe should be taught in school that we have all the solutions and other people do too. So it's something I think to keep in mind. I find that very challenging and hard to do as a parent though. I don't know what's been your experience with that. Definitely, definitely. But even now, learning to listen to my children who are almost 30 years old, two of them, and learning to listen to them now and respect their needs and their ideas and not project mine onto them is like a big thing for me, growth. (laughs) Because we kind of have to switch roles as they mature and we kind of have to let them go and let them be and not live through them and project all of our stuff out there. 
I agree. I agree. I think that the closer the people are to us, and especially when we're used to being, I, I again, somehow I come back to the point that there is some kind of a power issue when it comes to hierarchy and power issue and the way we position ourselves in relation to other people when we offer solutions, whereas when we just listen and we are just present. Because when you listen and you're present, you're equal to the other person. Whereas if you are the strong one that finds a solution, there is a little bit of an imbalance of power here, which actually makes the other person weaker. That's not the purpose. I hear you so much. I mean, with kids, it's the most challenging. I I take deep breaths every day, (laughs) not to voice everything I have to say and remember that the right thing for me to do is just listen and be present and empower. And I have to tell you that occasionally it doesn't work for me always, you know, and, and I just, it just slips and I say what I have to say, but then I keep reminding myself. So for people that listen to us that want to do better at Because if I come from therapy and I'm telling you, it's so challenging for me to zip my mouth and be present when it comes to my kids. And I'm supposed to be good at that and used to that. And I am. It's just that there are things as a parent that are more challenging. For somebody who's not used to that practice, how can people get themselves to a place that they listen more, that they are present more, that they judge less, and they don't offer solutions. What can they tell themselves? How can they get themselves to that place? What would you advise them? Well, for me, it, it took a lot of personal therapy right. to and learning. Uh, mindfulness is great for me to spend some time just sitting and being still really kind of wires me to be able to do that more in my relationships and with my kids, with my family. The hardest thing that i had to learn to do is to sit back and let my kids make a mistake because I realized that it's part of their growth process and that right. their growth process is not about me. My ego cannot get involved and I have to be willing to not be concerned about what I'm going to look like as a parent if they make a mistake because I'm sure I made a lot of mistakes and gave my mom a lot of gray hairs. But that's part of it. Again, just being able to be present with someone without pushing myself onto them. Absolutely. I I agree 100%. And you mentioned something that I want to touch on that I think is super important. You mentioned the ego. And I often talk about and, and think about the role of ego in driving people to certain actions. You know, how much of that are you seeing in your encounters with people, in your practice? I see that a lot. I see it a lot. And that goes into, also goes into that instant gratification. What is the thing that feels good right now? And not so much worried about how it's going to affect me later. I think working from that reptilian brain, where those old habits are. And you being an expert on change, you know more than most how difficult it is for people to changes. And so helping them find their way, not them coming in and me giving them a to-do list, but sitting with them, peeling back layers, helping them find their way. 
And when you say reptilian brain, just to sort of give some information to whoever is not familiar with that. So we have a part of our brain, the reptilian brain, that is in charge of impulsive behavior. So when we talk about being our better selves, there's another part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, where we take the executive decision. And this is where we strategize and we say, oh, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to hurt that person's feelings. I better not say anything. Where it's the reptilian brain, that part of the brain that is impulsive, that's our drunk driver part of the brain that says, nope, I'm just going to say what's on my mind because I'm angry now and I don't care. So, <laughs> so that's a constant struggle between those two parts of the brain. One pulls us towards all or impulsive, quick, irresponsible, drunk driver kind of self. And the other one pulls us towards, okay, let's be better people. Let's strategize. Let's think about what we're doing. Or as my kindergarten teacher used to say, put your hands in the pockets and count till three before you say anything. You know, (laughs) so what's the best tip you would give someone if I'm a person that really, really struggles? And I think we all do, but let's say I feel that I struggle more than other people when it comes to just being impulsive and it can be impulsive in my finances, impulsive in the way I react to other people. And I just feel that when I'm angry or when I'm just not focused, it just takes over me. And I do want to be my best self. What's the one advice that you would give me to control my reptilian brain and be my best self? I think because I am very impulsive (laughs) and I have always been very impulsive. Welcome to my life. It usually does get me in trouble. It really does. So I can look back and go, oh, well, I probably did that impulsively. And that's why I have this mess because I was impulsive. So I can see where it wasn't the greatest thing. But kids in their 20s and 30s, you know, they don't have that benefit as much as me in midlife. So helping them, I mean, I think mindfulness is everything because it teaches us to be still and wait. Now, for me, mindfulness, like, I'm like, I don't want to sit for five minutes. I don't Mm want to sit for 10 minutes. So that thing that is the hardest, that's the thing we need to move towards. That's what I've found. I knew, I was like, this is not for me. I have too much to do. And someone said, the more you have to do, the more you need to be mindful. And you need to learn to practice. And once I learned to practice being still and waiting, I learned that when I was being impulsive, I was not my best self. I was running from my best self. I was medicating with busyness. And so... Learning to be still and wait has just been everything to me because it was the hardest thing of all. And that's through meditation? Yes. And how much time a day do you devote to meditation? It really depends, Michelle. I like to begin my day that way. So okay. I'm going to do, uh, and I've had to build this muscle, uh, and I'm, I can't sit for an hour. I know people that can sit for, and wow. They are some of the most peaceful people to be around. Of course. But I'm going to do 30 minutes in the morning to start my day and usually 15 at night to kind of bring myself down before I, I go to bed. I'd love to be able to do more, but that's where I am in that process right now. I think if there's anything that really is going to 
stay with me from our conversation. I actually wrote down what you said. You said the more you have to do, the more you need to be mindful. So I guess the most important thing is not to get caught up in the going, 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 doing, doing, doing. And even if we are very busy, the busier we are, the more goals we have, the more tasks we have, the more we need to dedicate. And you know what? Some people can meditate. Other people can take a walk to think, you know, someone else can listen, but you have to find the time to reflect, have a meeting with yourself. And I think that therapy is another way to do that because that's another tool for self-reflection. So it's that self-reflection where we analyze our own actions and say, oops, I messed up or, oh my gosh, I thought I was right. But now that I think about it, I was actually completely off in what I was doing or saying or whatever. So I think that the other side of the equation is you're saying the more you have to do, the more you need to be mindful. And I would say the more you have to do, the more you need to be mindful, the more you're mindful, the more successful you become. Oh, that is so true. I can do so much more when I begin my day with my mindfulness. I can be so much more intentional and just do things in a more peaceful manner. I remember one of my um, mentors telling me one day, you have so much anxiety. And I said, I I don't have anxiety. No, 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 I don't have anxiety. (laughs) He's like, can't you just be still for a minute? And I'm like, no, I'm so busy. I have so much to do. And then it dawned on me, that was a gift that he gave me. I do have anxiety. I am anxious. And I am running from that. With all of my busyness, a person that wants to really learn to be with themselves, that's hard work. Yeah. That is really hard work, but it's really great work. It's really great work. I couldn't agree with you more. Dr. Watley, I could talk to you all day because it's just so interesting. It's interesting to share the reflections that we have on mindfulness and focus, just focus on what we're doing. And I think that this was a great tip and it was a great conversation. And thank you so, so much for joining us today. This was very, very valuable. Thank you. It's been a blessing for me and I've just enjoyed it so much and your kindness and your peacefulness is lovely to be in the presence of. And I thank you for having me here as your guest. Thank you, Dr. Lori Watley, for sharing your powerful insights on personal growth with us. Your statement, the more you have to do, the more you need to be mindful, has really resonated with me and will stick with me for a long time. I loved what you said about listening. And I think that our discussion today on how to reach out to someone who is hurting mentally and emotionally, what to do and what not to do was so important. Thank you for joining me today, everyone. Let's reach out to people around us that hurt by just being present and listening. Let's stop fixing other people's lives and just be. Be present, be a friend, reach out to someone that hurts. It is in your hands.